Today's episode is episode 182 of Unconventional Humans Podcast. Today I am going to talk about uh, modern man in search of his soul. So I'm going to change things up a little bit in future episodes. Today's the first episode where I'm going to talk about a book, Modern Man in Search of His Soul by Carl Jung. What I'm going to do is talk about the book, what I got from the book, give my interpretation of what Carl is saying. This isn't there a review of the book. That's not what I'm turning these things into. What I want to do over the next few months is to read, read books from, I guess, influential minds like Carl Jung. I want to read a book about book Freud has done. Psychologists and writers, next book's going to be Charles Bukowski. I've got a book lined up to read for next month. My intention here is, for myself personally, I want to read less books, but to really digest them and to make sense of them. Make sense of them in relation to my own life. So I want to read these books, take in what they're saying, and see the relevancy of it in my life and how I interpret it in my life. So... Carl Jung's book, Modern Man in Search of a Soul. I think it's the first time I've read a full book from Carl Jung. I think I've been exposed to Carl Jung over the years. I was aware of archetypes and I was aware of different things that Carl Jung has done over the years. But I don't think I've taken the time to read one of his books in its entirety. This book was given to me by a friend. So it um, something was recommended a few months ago for me. So I, I started reading it. And on today's episode, I just want to talk about some points that stood out to me in my mind and just elaborate on it on this episode. So the first thing, first point I want to talk around is archaic men. So in the book, Carol talks about archaic men, primal men in relation to modern men. So the comparison is with modern day men. And what I found interesting was that he talked about the presuppositions, the assumptions of archaic men versus modern men. And in order for us to understand archaic men, we need to understand the presuppositions that archaic man has about the world. What I found interesting was that, first of all, we need to know what our assumptions about the world are in order to understand somebody else's assumptions about the world, because it's so easy to live in the world without realizing what the assumptions, the underlying assumptions are. So we to just live by default according to, as humans, I think we mimic what we see and observe around us. And oftentimes, well, it can be easy not to question what are we assuming to be true here? And modern men's assumptions, just in the book, he delves into modern men's assumptions. In comparison to archaic men's assumptions, Modern man builds himself more around what's controllable, more around science, what's, what's evidence, what's factual. Archaic men, there was more of a weight on supernatural and more of a weight on, I guess, from my interpretation, I guess I would associate archaic men mightn't be, well, he isn't as intellectually developed as modern men. But I feel like modern man loses a sense of intuition and gut feeling about the world that archaic man is more in touch with because he hasn't got this layer of intellectual intellectual ability built on top of that intuition. So in, so in a lot of ways, I feel like modern man suffers from that. 
that we can become so intellectually developed that we lose that connection to self, that connection to intuition that our cake men might be closer to. I think the struggle as well in modern man's world, like this, where the books called Modern Man in Search of a Soul, I think that the struggle with us today is that we live in our heads a lot because we're so intellectually developed and because we're living in a civilization, in a world which is built around systems. And oftentimes systems can entrap us that we don't really have a sense of self. With that we lose a sense of self from being a, a cog, I suppose, being a part of the system. It can be easy for that to happen. That these are things that archaic men doesn't have to deal with so much. So why I suppose unnerves us as modern men in the civilized world is the unknown. And I think we tend to ignore the parts of the unknown that we can't quantify, like intuition, their gut feeling and things. I don't think we've managed to find, uh, well, not very often, we haven't managed to find a very good balance between intellect, measurement, quantifying things, and then more on the intuition. I don't think we marry those things, two things together that well as modern men today. Modern men in the civilized world. That was archaic men there. The main thing there was just the presuppositions about the world. In order for you to understand somebody else's worldview, I guess where the empathy comes in is that you need to understand what your own presuppositions are. And in order to understand that, there's an awareness that a lot of your presuppositions were pre-programmed into you by the society and the culture you grew up in. So there's there's empathy there then because I suppose you get a glimpse at how powerful ideas are and how they form your worldview. And when you can start understanding how these some of these ideas, some of these ideas are empowering, some of these ideas can limit you. So that's where a sense of empathy can come in then when you start realizing that there's ideas I have in my mind that have limited me a lot. And now that I'm starting to see them, I can have empathy for somebody else who might have a worldview that could be limiting them in many ways as well. I'm sure like there's ways that archaic man limits himself definitely. I think in the book, it talked a little bit about, uh, I think the childish way archaic man would view things. Like for example, I think the example given was of a tribal man, the differentiation between good and bad he had in his mind and good was that he, I think the good was that I can't remember now. It was a naive thing, and it was, or it wasn't very moral. And I think it was the good was that he could covet his neighbor's wife, but bad was that his neighbor coveted his wife. It was something along those lines. So that the main thing there from there was just the presuppositions to understand people that like it's uh it's not like aliens we're dealing with. It's it's just the understanding the power of your assumptions about the world. The main crux of this book. What I felt from this book and I was, I think the main purpose he wrote this book with, I think he stated at one stage in the book that the main purpose towards the end, I think he stated that the main purpose was to get across the attitude of the psychotherapist in relation to the person they're interacting with. That was the main aim for this book. 
like the, the weight you put on the actual attitude of the person more so than the treatment or their theories. That's what I liked about this book. It gave me an insight into the man, Carl Jung, and his attitude and his outlook on life. Uh, that's what I appreciated from this. I wasn't so much drawn to reading about theories in this book. That wasn't why I read this book. I was drawn to understanding the man, understanding the worldview, and just getting some glimpses into this because I tend to agree it is the attitude of the person. I often find, and I think he's touching on this in the book, that in order to listen to somebody in a non-judgmental way, you have to accept parts in yourself that you would rather not accept. I think that's where the empathy can come in and the real sense of listening to somebody without judgment. Because he mentioned in the book that it doesn't matter whether you verbalize the judgment you hold for somebody or not, it's more felt from the person whether you hold that judgment or not. And that limits them from opening up and uh, I think it's not so much as them opening up to you, it's really them opening up to themselves to understand what's going on for them, really, and so they can work through things. So it's the attitude of the psychotherapist, and then the other main thing I got from this book was the, how do you deal with psychology, with the psyche, the human psyche, how do you deal with that? without having a spiritual understanding of life. That was the other thing I was get, that, that this book kind of got me. I was quite surprised that Carl Jung, I didn't know that he, because I think in the book, one of the recommendations, the book now described him as somebody who had a very, a very good like theology, understanding, understanding of theology. Uh, because in the book he does touch on, I think it's a chapter at the very end actually about clergyman so it's I, I think the idea he was getting at was that you go because a lot of people i suppose especially in a modern day today a lot of people tend to go towards a therapist for guidance more so than a, a person of the clergy and what he was talking about was how much spiritual understanding should the psychotherapist have is it even within their remit should they even have that much of an awareness of the spiritual world compared to that's what the clergyman's role is supposed to be, somebody with a spiritual understanding who can give you spiritual guidance in your life. And he talked a little bit about how I think the dogmatism of the clergy can get in the way of actually giving spiritual guidance, guidance to someone. And that's possibly why a lot of people aren't seeking that guidance from there now. And should then, then should we expect the psychotherapist, should we expect the therapist to have that spiritual guidance? So that was, uh, that's what I got from the last chapter you were talking about. It was, it was that dilemma of where do we go for spiritual guidance? And I suppose that's what a lot of this book was about was the, because there has been a tendency over the years to try and, well, I don't know where psychology stands today, but the, the movement has been to, for psychology to be a hard science over the years. I don't think it's fully got to that place. I don't think there's a, I wouldn't think there's, there's a, an expectation that it will get to that place because how do you make something a hard science which has a lot of weight in the spiritual world, in the human psyche? 
that's why that's why I'm fascinated by psychology, because there's an element of psychology. That's a hard science that you can look at the brain. You can look at. You can look at things more on a biological level. You can split things. You can come up with theories like even this book. He talked he had a chapter around theory types, I think. That's where he talked a little bit about introversion. I think Carl Jung was one of the guys. I think he came up with the term introversion. Don't quote me on that, but I think he came up with introversion. So you can come up with theories, frames of reference to help you understand people. You can look at the biology. You can you can change your diet. You can sleep better. You can do all these things to optimize your mental health on a more scientific level. But there's a whole aspect of psychology that deals with the human psyche. And that's not something you can quantify. That's something that's very individual to people. And I think that's why in this book, he put so much weight on the attitude of the psychotherapist, because with the human psyche, it's not so much about the way you're thinking about things and your, your, your theories about things. Actually, that can kind of get in the way of actually seeing the person in front of you. I think the attitude is more about this. I think he described it as an objectivity to the situation. And I think that objectivity comes from the, the non-judgment of the person in front of you. Or even taking a step back, forget about the person in front of you. Think about it just in terms of to yourself. When you, when you sit with yourself and you notice the judgment you have for yourself, like when you start coming to terms with that, letting go of the judgment you have for yourself, I think that's a glimpse into the ob objectivity you can have then of your life. And I feel like interacting with people then is a reflection of where you're at in your own personal growth, your own spiritual growth. So that, that's spirituality. Talked a little bit about the collective unconscious. Yeah, the collective unconscious is something I would associate with Carl Jung. So the collective unconscious, what I got from the book when I was reading about it was uh, on the surface things happen that might look chaotic or, or there could be change coming about. That's an expression of something that's been kept unconscious for too long. So I'll just give an example from my own life. What I've witnessed in the culture I've grown up in, in the environments I've grown up in, is not much respect given to deep thinking. And books, as in books having an actual impact on your life. So I know this because I know this was my experience because I never really, really saw the link between good books and your worldview. I didn't see that. So in my individual experience, in my individual life, I've seen that that importance of deep thinking and reading books to help you understand your life better and introspection and reflecting on life. That wasn't part of my life. That that wasn't the wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't a part of my life, but it wasn't a very fundamental part of my life. It wasn't uh, in my life a lot. 
growing up. So it was unconscious. As I've gotten older, as I've, as I've had pain in my life, as I've tried to understand my life better, that's become more conscious. So I'm expressing it. So the manifestation of that then is me doing this podcast, me writing books, me interacting with people that are also interested in this stuff, having more conversations like this in my day-to-day life. I've noticed that over the years as I've become more comfortable with this, as, I, as I've become more conscious with this, brought it up from the unconscious, that that becomes part of, that shapes all the environments I'm in now. Whereas it wasn't like that before because it was unconscious. So that's, I suppose, the best way I have of explaining that. I suppose the archetype, let me make up an archetype. The archetype there for me would be of the deep thinker. And a deep thinker in me was suppressed. It was unconscious for a long time. It was always there. It was kind of there. I, I think I was tapping into bits and pieces, but it wasn't above the surface. It wasn't something that was very evident or that I had accepted in myself. So another way of me noticing this is that if somebody did point out to me in the past that you're you're very deep, I would have a reluctance to accept that. I would go, no, I'm not, I'm not deep. I have a very kind of... Um, I'd feel weird about it. Whereas today, if somebody told me you're very deep, it doesn't cut so much now because I've accepted that part of myself. I've actually seen the benefits of that part of myself. I've made it conscious. I don't see it as a bad thing anymore. I actually see it as a good thing now. So that's the collective unconscious there. It's kind of just writing it to my own life there, just trying to make sense of it in my own life. I do like his ideas of collective unconscious. I do think there's a lot of truth to them. The other thing he talked about was art versus the artist. So the body of work. So the, the work that the artist creates and the artist himself. So he talked a little bit around, because you can, I suppose you can learn about the artist through observing the work. And then I think he was talking, is he talking about, so if an artist has neurosis, like certain neuroses, which we all have, we all have some certain neurotic ideas that we pick up, that that can be in the work. And then, I, suppose, I don't know, what was he getting at? I'll just talk about it from my own standpoint. I suppose how much of, of the artwork is, I, I feel with, with real art, there's a good element of it that's channeled you're tapping into you're tapping into something like collective unconscious you're tapping into intuition you're tapping into something that's that's not not that's not fully you that's that's more of an expression of the collective in some way so I just i find it interesting to think about how much of the work is infused i guess with the artists the individual artists neurosis and then I suppose how much of it is just a, more of a collective expression that's been channeled through the artist so I can't remember the point he was getting at, but I, I do think that that's a fascinating thing like how much of the work is objective and how much of it is influenced by the I think I'm saying objective there in the sense of it's just it's just like being expressed by the individual. They might know why they're expressing that. Like, because I think that's that that ties back to the oftentimes in societies there is something lacking. So it's in the collective unconscious. 
and it needs to be expressed in some way. It's looking for expression, and it will look through expression oftentimes through people. Maybe the, the channel, the medium for it. And uh, I think that's what I'm talking about there with the objectivity that as the person is creating the art, I think there's probably an element of their own psychology in there, their own things they're dealing with, and there's an element of collective expression that needs to be expressed. So uh, I suppose another simple thing of saying this is there's conversations that need to be had, and if nobody's speaking, nobody's changing, if nobody's speaking new words, if they're not putting new input into conversations, new perspectives, then it's not going to be expressed. Like that's uh, that's just another way of thinking about that. It's a simple, more simpler way. More simpler, a simpler way. I think they're the main things I wanted to cover today. Oh, he talked about in the first chapter actually interpretation of dreams. And what I liked about that was that he, again, he's he's not because dreams are so open to interpretation, they can be interpreted in so many different ways, ties into symbolism, like oftentimes in dreams, you might get a message you might never understand, or you might actually understand it in your life. That's actually a symbol for something else. It doesn't actually represent it on a literal level. So I find that fascinating. That I find that I find that somebody who is interested in that would need to be open to the unknown, open to perceiving things in different ways that might not be in accordance with how society views things. So what I like, I guess, about Carl Jung is that there's a, a scientific side to this guy. When I'm reading this book, it's very detailed. He goes into a lot of detail. So there's a very analytical mind in there. Because I also don't appreciate people who are just bluffers who don't have that analytical capacity because there's a lot of hard work and dedication that goes into that and i also liked in the book that he never comes across as my way is the right way what i got from the book was that he was trying to understand the human psyche looking for truth as with an acceptance that you you won't actually arrive at that that ultimate truth but I felt like he's trying to move things further, just progress psychology, progress the field further, because I think there's an acceptance in this book that we're not going to find all the answers through hard science, looking at psychology as a hard science. We're not going to find all the answers either through looking at it just from a spiritual lens. It's combining the two together and ultimately, I suppose, interacting with people as, as humans, because one of the main things I picked up on too, was that the people that are coming to him for therapy, a lot of it was they had, there was no meaning to their life. Or there was a certain segment like that, that wasn't all his clientele, but it was a certain segment that they were lacking meaning in their life. And what he said for them was that they're not looking for normalization. So he might get somebody who hasn't been, hasn't really been integrated into society that well. They haven't been normalized. Now, I think it's normalization is the term. So somebody who's later on in life, they've gone through life, they have fitted into society, but they lack a meaning in their life. They're the types of people that, I feel like, I think he was saying in the book himself that it's, it's, it's he doesn't actually have answers for them. It, it, 
it'll be tapping more into your own inner knowing, your own guidance. I feel like there with the interpretation of dreams, he gave examples as well in the book of people making sense of their own dreams. But you've got somebody there who can help guide you. Because it's so individual and people interpret it in so many different ways. And I actually find that that's, I actually like that part of things because uh, you're venturing into the unknown. And uh, it's a bit of a puzzle. You never have the right answers, and you never know for sure either whether you have the right answers. Like you're, you could be going down a wrong path. But um, it's better than than purely just containing everything within a systemized way of thinking. So I like the balance that's being struck here between the hard science and in the human psyche, exploring the human psyche. Because he mentioned briefly as well about Freud and Adler, Alfred Adler. Just a simplistic, I suppose, summarization of, uh, well, not a summarization, but the main thing he pointed about Freud was Freud was very focused on the, on explaining everything through the sexual or instinct, the sex, sex drive that was unconscious to people. And then Adler, a, a simplified way of looking at Adler was um, power. So it, it's power the um, inferiority complex, superiority complex. And uh, he acknowledges that those two, those two explanations of the world, trying to make sense of people, they work to a certain extent. To be honest, I don't, I, I must read a bit more of Freud and Adler, but I would imagine that they weren't trying to understand people purely based off of those two instincts, there's probably a lot of nuances there at the same time, but the overarching theme, I guess, when you think of Freud, you'd associate him with the unconscious sex drive, that's what's motivating people, that's what's causing a lot of neurosis is. And uh, Adler was more the power, was the thing for people, the superiority complex, the inferiority complex. So I guess it comes just to building on the shoulders of giants, like you do need simplified ways of thinking about things just to give you an idea of what you're going to be exploring here and what we're going to build on like when i think of carl jung then i would think of the collective unconscious and spirituality that they were the two things i thought of for carl jung before i read this book after reading this book i have a bit of appreciation that but don't have an in-depth knowledge or detail of it but that of clergy just he was thinking about clergyman versus psychotherapist and I suppose it really just uh, I, I guess it's relevant today as religions losing a stronghold where do we speak seek spiritual guidance because I don't think it's the religion that is a uh, that will be the issue for people I think it's the spiritual guidance that's going to be the issue for people moving forward because it will come to the when you lack spiritual guidance in your life, and when I talk about spiritual guidance, you don't need to seek that from somebody else. You, it's learning your own spiritual guidance. So like when I look at my life, the way I've learned to attune myself more on a spiritual level has been from interacting with many different types of people, being open to how they're looking at the world, and then ultimately trusting my gut feeling then based on all this information that I'm taking in. That's the way I've been navigating it. So I think that clergyman versus psychotherapist, 
chapter towards the end is very relevant to today because as especially even in Ireland or especially in Ireland like we used to be a very staunch Catholic country I think it's progressing from that it's been progressing from that and you're coming to a crossroads where it's where do we speak seek spiritual guidance now and what was the role of clergy over the last few decades because I think there was a large part of dogmatic thinking there that has turned a lot of people off religion myself included but I don't think the issue is losing religion I think the issue is the possibility of throwing the baby out with the bat water and losing spiritual guidance so I think that chapter is very relevant don't know what the answer is but I do think to be honest that as there's hopefully a better understanding of meditation and getting meditation, mindfulness, that we'll start to find the route forward when it comes to spiritual guidance. Like, like for me, I wouldn't be anti-religion. What I, I'm more anti-dogma, dogmatic thinking, to be honest, in any realm of life. I'm just, I don't like, I, don't, I just don't like dogmatic thinking. But I think they're just interesting things to think about on an individual level. What's the right thing on an individual level for you to do to move forward with things? I think it's just good to think about these things and to understand what's the what's the core issues here. Um, but they are, they're the main things I wanted to talk about. I've covered everything now that I want to talk about. I'm reading Carl Jung's book. Next month, I'm going to do... Let me check the book. Ham and Roy. So I'm going to read that. And I'm going to do a podcast episode about that next month. So that's it. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you'd like to support the podcast, then there's a link in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, there'll be a link below this video. If you want to buy me a coffee, it'd be greatly appreciated. You can also join a monthly Zoom call. Been doing them for the past while now. It's I think as I'm doing these book reviews, there'll be a possibility to talk about the book I'm talking about on those calls as well. Up until now, it's just been a, it, it's basically been a chat about life, to be honest. I just have a chat about like anything and everything, what's on your mind, helping to make progress with things. But, but that's it. Thanks again for listening, and I will speak to you on the next episode.